In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gaspacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Sammy Sage. And I'm Emily Amick. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And today, we are Amanda Liss, as you can see. It's her birthday. Everyone, please wish her a happy birthday. Tell her thank you for all her hard work every day. And today, we are going to try to do her justice and give you a good episode in honor of Amanda. But in the happy meantime- Happy birthday, Amanda. Welcome back, Emily. We are thrilled Thank to you. have you. We, meaning I and I'm Amanda in spirit. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, they are large shoes to fill, but I will do my best. I am sure I, I have faith that you're, you're going to be able to do it. And the, <laughs> you know, Emily and your phoners are going to have a real treat today. So we got to We got to talk. This was a, this was a huge weekend in news. Yeah. Um, it really feels like we're at some sort of breaking point in everything that's going on with, of course, the Mar-a-Lago search and all the aftermath of it. So let's, before we start, can I, can I kind of get your, your immediate, just gut take on this whole situation? What are you, what are you thinking? So, you know, a, a warrant does not an indictment make, right? So what we have right now is not a criminal prosecution against Trump. What we have is a warrant to look for information and to get those documents out of Mar-a-Lago because there seems to have been legitimate security concerns about those documents. Um, so, you know, I, I think that a, this is completely obvious based on all his previous actions that he was going to do something like this. And it seems like very Donald Trump of a thing to do. Um, we don't know why he's done it, which is, I think, my biggest question mark, because it's just so um, horrific that he's done this. But I sincerely hope that, you know, Merrick Garland, Attorney General Garland has sort of turned uh, a corner and has started being a little bit more um, communicative with those of us. And he said the reason he was willing to talk about it is because Trump opened the door. But I hope there is going to be a little bit more communication between the DOJ and the American people so we can start to see what they are doing because, you know, they have been working diligently, clearly, but the course of justice has been exceptionally slow. And I think it's been a little bit too slow for the American public. So, okay, you're, you have experience, you worked in the Senate for Chuck Schumer. Do you have any experience ever handling classified documents or anything confidential or secret that you could provide insight into how these documents or just anything that kind of belongs to the government is handled? 
Sure. So, you know, I was not an intelligence staffer in the Senate. Um, and those are the folks who are really dealing with confidential documents. I did do an internship in the State Department where I did have secret... Um, I had secret status, so I was able to access classified documents at that point. But I think, you know, the interesting thing about all of these classified documents and the regulations surrounding them is that it's an administrative regulation, right? So folks like me would absolutely never treat confidential documents inappropriately because the consequences are hurting your career, right? It would mean your clearance would be taken away and you wouldn't be able to get a job that required secret clearance again. Um, but in general, you know, everybody who works with secret clearance and classified documents is acutely aware of how to treat these documents. And some of the documents that Trump had weren't just, you know, they weren't just normally classified. They were sensitive compartmented information, which is information that is only available to those who are like extremely necessary to that project. And they have to be stored in extremely secure locations because the risks of that information getting out is a really exceptionally grave damage to our national security, right? So like these are a the, the top level classified information. And so that type of information, like everyone in DC knows about skiffs, right? And there are these locked rooms. And um, earlier, like last month, I was supposed to go on a date with someone and he didn't confirm because he was in a skiff, right? And they can't have their phones. They can't have anything because it's totally, um, uh, you know, a locked room. And that's because that's how securely they have to treat this classified information. And Donald Trump most definitely was aware of how serious this classified information is, right? Especially from Hillary's emails. He went on a tirade about that for years, right? And the whole shebang is about these classified emails. So classified information in the email, supposedly, which it, it, it was not nuclear secrets. It was like a risotto recipe. But, um, you know, it, I think that the idea that he didn't know that they were classified and that he suddenly used his magic wand and declassified them is also sort of not that important at the end of the day, because the three charges discussed in the warrant, it, they don't deal with classified information. They deal with information, for example, the Espionage Act. It's about information that is can be hurting our national security. And that's what's important. It's, it's the actual content of the document and the fact that it's been classified is sort of just a demarcation of that. Though, you know, happy to go into that whole thing. But at the end of the day, it's almost not relevant. And it's like a classic Trump move to be like, look over here on the left, don't look on the right. That is a great explanation. But let's let's back up for a second. Yeah. First, two things. One, I do just have to go back to one thing you said. Um, I love the, sorry, I couldn't make it. I was in the skiff excuse that it sounds like something that is a beautiful nuance of DC dating that um, I'm glad to now be aware of. So let's, let's start yeah. there. Um, and just for review, I'm going to read, I'm just going to read through what basically happened this weekend. On Friday, the Florida judge unsealed the FBI search warrant, and that revealed that Trump is now under investigation for violating the Espionage Act, for obstruction of justice, and for a third charge of criminal handling of government records, regardless of whether or not they are classified, as Emily just said. So we have a slight breakdown. Basically, when you, know, when you execute a search warrant, you get the warrant, which basically explains the underlying charges that the warrant is being executed to 
try to either prove or disprove. And you also can, you also have the property receipt, which basically states all of the things that were taken in the search. And from that, we know we have part of the property receipt, but not all of it. But from what we do know, the FBI retrieved more than 20 boxes of records, plus binders of photos, sets of handwritten notes, a leather bound box. I'm curious about that one. 11 sets of classified documents. So within that included at least one set of TSSCI documents, which are the most top secret documents ever. They have to be handled like so, so, so specifically, as Emily just explained, and very few people ever get to touch them. But it also had four sets of top secret documents, which are just sort of the regular, regular top secret, I guess. Three sets of secret documents, you know, standard, not okay to share, and three sets of confidential documents. So all varying levels of sensitive information. Um, There was a folder that was regarding pardoning Roger Stone and one labeled info regarding the president of France. Um, And it's unclear what that information was. Uh, Do you have any, do you have any guesses for that? (laughs) Do I? Yeah. Um, uh, no, I am not familiar with the compromat on Macron. Um, maybe he's a party animal, which we probably should know already because he's French. Um, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things about all of this is to think of like how Trump got, like, how and why Trump got all of these boxes of paraphernalia to begin with. And Robert Costa on Twitter did, um, he published some really interesting information about sort of how documents were were managed during the Trump administration. He's like, Trump is like this very well-known pack rat, right? And, um, but he was also like not the world's most uh, studious president is a nice way to say it. So he would go to these intelligence briefings. Apparently he never read anything. He only requested verbal intelligence briefings, but sometimes they would have a photo or something he thought was cool. And he'd be like, can I have that? And the intelligence officers would be like, well, no, cause we got to take it back. Cause you know, like we're in a skiff, this is TSI. No, but apparently sometimes they would, and the word that was used was forget to request it back from him. And then he didn't like to work in the Oval Office. He liked to work in his residence, presumably watching Fox News. And so he would just take a bunch of documents from his office and walk to the residence. And this is where this supposed like standing order that anything he removed from the Oval Office suddenly became declassified, which is not a thing. It's just not a thing that exists. And like, it's not true. There's also some information that is so top secret, like that that is not allowed for one person. The president cannot just declassify it on their own. Nobody can just declassify it. This stuff about the nuclear codes and all of those things cannot just be declassified. But even if he were to have declassified things, right, he can't just think it. There's, there's, it's preposterous, right? He would have had to tell someone and then tell the people who are in charge of classified info so they could remanage that information, make it available to FOIA requests, things like that, right? Like there is a meaning behind these classified denotations that has an effect down the line. John um, Kelly also a- said that this morning that it's, this is not the policy. He was like, this was never a thing. No. Right. And I think Bolton said the same thing. Um, And so, but what he would do is he would just take the stuff to the residents. And then once it was there, he would pack rat it. And so that's was 
supposedly the creation of all of these boxes, though, you know, it's questionable. How did this Roger Stone pardon get in there? Right. Like that seems quite intentional for Trump to be able to hold, hold on to who knows what's in that pardon. Perhaps there's some information on other things he was pardoned for that we aren't even aware of. Um, lots of question marks from my end. <laughs> so many. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So, okay, let's talk about uh, his response because obviously he wasn't happy. So he had multiple responses. Maggie Haberman called them shifting explanations. Alternative facts might be what Kelly Con- Kellyanne Conway would show- call them. But first, he claimed that the documents didn't exist. Then he claimed that they were planted. Uh, then he most recently is claiming that he had a standing order to declassify them before he left office, which we just refuted. Um, the New York Times report is basically did a deep dive into how these documents got there and how this, what was kind of going on behind the scenes of this search warrant. So they reported that Trump refused to pack before leaving office. So the boxes just kind of ended up at Mar-a-Lago. He took them home, you know, when he was busy working, whatever. Okay. So then earlier this year, the National Archives and the DOJ were like, well, first the National Archives were like, we need to get these boxes back. These don't belong to you. These are property of the United States. 
He wouldn't give them back. The DOJ got involved. He eventually gave some of them back. Then his lawyer signed a signed an affidavit saying that everything had been given back. The DOJ then came to believe that they hadn't been. They then subpoenaed the surveillance footage for about, I think it was a 60-day period of Mar-a-Lago in which they saw that the box, there were boxes of information being moved in between this room with a padlocked door where it was being stored um, and other and other places in Mar-a-Lago. They had specifically requested had a better lock on it so people couldn't access it. Because there's all these people in Mar-a-Lago because he doesn't live in a normal house. He lives in a country club. <laughs> I think there was um, Olivia Troy who was... Uh, Pence's former one of the one of the former aides to Pence who said that she once found classified information in the bathroom when she was working for the administration. So these people are just like leaving the shit everywhere. Someone's going to wander into this room thinking it's, you know, it's the spa. I don't know. Yeah, They're looking for like a better reader's digest to take to the bathroom for the read. You know, oh, this um, packet no. looks interesting. Yeah. You know, or it's a Saudi agent who happens to be hanging out with Jared Kushner discussing his next billion dollar uh, gift and is in Mar-a-Lago. And it's like, oh, what's in here? Yeah, exactly. So the Justice Department tried to get them back. They were not they were doing this behind the scenes for several months, trying to negotiate with him to get the information that they knew was missing back. They eventually executed the search warrant. But ultimately, it was it was Trump who made this public. Um, and like you said, none of this, this declassification thing is completely a red herring. It doesn't really, it's not really relevant to whether or not Trump is, Trump is ultimately, you know, indicted for these charges. So now let's talk about how Trump's response has sort of, how it's affected the base, because ultimately it seems that, and this is just my sort of speculation, having watched him for several years, that his choice to make the warrant public or to make the search public was an attempt to leverage his base. He now thinks that this has now put him, you know, back in the White House. And he even has said something to this effect, conveyed a message to the DOJ for Merrick Garland on behalf of Trump. And essentially the message was, this is a really big mess. I have spoken to people around the country who are unhappy with this search they think it is, and they essentially, he's saying, they think it's corrupt. Where, what can I do to turn down the heat was his, uh, his quote. So how do you take that after? I mean, yeah, it seems to be another one of his like mob boss statements, frankly, where he's not saying what he actually means. Uh, it seems to me Donald Trump has absolutely no interest in turning down his rhetoric, right? Like the person he gave the information about the warrant to was a right-wing provocateur. And so, you know, I, it, it is, it's horrifying what's happening, right? Like the Marjorie Taylor Greene and that whole crew has sort of taken this idea of going after the FBI. They literally have defund the FBI merch available now and they are turning to violence. And I think, you know, this is, intermingling with the conspiracies that are coming out of the Inflation Reduction Act about how the IRS is being funded to go take people's guns. Um, and you see on TikTok and Twitter now, all of these people who are talking about training for a civil war, right? And all of this militarism. And uh, Trump is fanning those flames with his rhetoric and with his statement that he's being, you know, raided and all of these things, which is inaccurate. 
Um, and as the, as the leader, I think he knows extremely well what he's doing and DeSantis sort of backing down and supporting Trump, I think is a really strong indicator that within the Republican party, they are seeing that this has sort of been an effective method for Trump to regain his strength after the January 6th hearing sort of knocked him down a peg. And that's not a good sign. No, definitely not a good sign. And just so what you alluded to is that Trump was actually the one who sent the unsealed warrant to Breitbart with the names of the agents on it. And then Breitbart published their names, knowing that they would, people would see them and then react. And then we're seeing other, you know, other such reactions all over the country. Um, last week, a man died as a result of a standoff in the FBI field office in Ohio after he attempted to attack the office with, I believe it was a nail gun. Um, over the weekend, 25 armed Trump supporters protested outside the Arizona FBI field office. There's also been a joint intelligence bulletin issued warning FBI agents and law enforcement of more extremist rhetoric online and that there have been more threats made against agents. And the federal judge who himself ordered the warrant to be unsealed is a guy named Bruce Reinhardt. And he has um, taken, he has undergone quite a few threats with his own synagogue um, having to close an event this weekend as a result of anti-Semitic threats. So it's, you know, your, your point about, you know, the rhetoric calling for civil war, it really, that, that really is quite concerning. I think that I would encourage maybe our listeners and and people who see this for what it is to refer to it, you know, not call this right-wing extremism and right-wing terrorism a civil war because ultimately we're not we're not in a war. You know, they're the ones who are fighting a war against the institution of the justice system. And you know, I mean, look, they think the IRS is getting money to take away people's guns. Damn, I fucking wish. Like that is that is like not if that's what they think, it I didn't even realize that they had a conspiracy tying these two things together yet. I must be like days behind on that. So yeah. You know, the the wheels of TikTok conspiracy move quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, how could it be a civil war when it's like a, a man with a nail gun versus the United States military? Right. Like, like that's not, that's not a, a fight that these guys can win. Um, and it's an insurrection and it's, you know, another probably failed attempted coup in the making, but it's also extraordinary violence that could be directed at people who are not members of the military. Right. And it's violence that could go against this judge against the families of these FBI agents, the members of this synagogue, right? And, and I think that's the great concern here, in addition to the fact that all of these people might vote in Donald Trump, who's going to send us into an authoritarian regime um, and destroy democracy. Uh, so, you know, I <laughs> that too. Because right. there's also the, I mean, because that while that's happening, there's also the legal element of it. And the, when they enter, January 6th was the first time that they've, actually intersected. But let's say in 2024, you have a legislature counting votes that could happen at one in one state. So it's, and I mean, you're seeing that now with the sort of targeted, targeted attacks. Um, let's just quickly talk about the Inflation Reduction Act, because you are, you are like Miss, Miss Congress over here. For those of us living in reality, the Inflation Reduction Act is a, is a really big deal. 
So Biden's going to be signing the Inflation Reduction Act this week, and it is a huge piece of legislation. It is the largest investment by the United States government in counteracting the climate crisis through renewable energy initiatives for both households and businesses. It is expected to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 40% below 2005 levels by 2030. But it also has a lot of other elements to it, including a cap on prescription drug prices like insulin for those on Medicare. Although the overall insulin price cap uh, for the privately insured was thwarted by Kirsten Cinema, who refused to and Republicans and the Republicans, um, but yeah, no, this is a this is a this bill is a really big deal, um, and ultimately Biden has, if you take Biden's agenda all together, the COVID relief bill, um, the infrastructure bill, he's really chipped away at that agenda one piece of legislation at a time. So bipartisan gun reform, bipartisan, yes. I, oh, how could I forget? Because. Yeah, you know, too many things happening. All of it, in my mind, is better than nothing. Maybe it's not Bernie Sanders' $6 trillion to bring America into the future, but it is something. Yeah. So, you know, and the Inflation Reduction Act, I do think that the the name of the bill is a little bit complicated um, because the meat of the bill, right, is this incredible climate change uh, legislation, improvements to Medicare that are going to, you know, come into play in the future. This isn't going to be an immediate thing. So it's going to, I think people aren't going to recognize it, that it's happening quickly. But for the first time, we're going to allow Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices. It starts incrementally, but that's really, this is really the first instance when the U.S. government has fought back against big pharma. It's going to try to, you know, we have uh, healthcare costs three times out of any other country. So it's a way to start sort of bringing down those prices, uh, 15% uh, corporate tax on companies that earn over a billion dollars a year, right? These incredible pieces of legislation that folks have been trying to move, some of which, you know, this uh, Medicare prescription drug negotiation has been pushed for since 1993. And um, it's finally passing. And, you know, the idea about this being an Inflation Reduction Act is really about the consequences of these things. So, for example, by having this climate change legislation that's going to promote, um, you know, energy sources other than oil is going to reduce our reliance on foreign oil and help control uh, inflation better, right? By lowering the cost of health prices, it's going to help, you know, people who are paying thousands and thousands of dollars every year for their prescriptions, seniors who are paying thousands of dollars every year for their prescriptions. So we'll help the um, inflationary effect on those people. And it's reducing the deficit, which some economists think might help inflation. You know, it's not going to lower the price of bacon, right, or milk um, or gas immediately. But those are things being dealt with through other means. Um, of course, this is the type of terminology that Joe Manchin really wanted to frame this bill as um, because he really wanted to present to the American public that Democrats are trying to do something to fight inflation. Uh, but I, I, personally, from my perspective, right, like I think the actual substance of the bill should be able to sell itself. The actual substance of the bill is an amazing step forward for the American people. And I think, for example, the $35 insulin cap for seniors on Medicare is, you know, something that people have been clamoring for. And I just want to say, like, if in 2024, Republicans control Congress and the presidency, is this stuff going to be rewinded? Right. Uh, 
definitely we won't be getting the $35 insulin price cap for private people on private insurance if that happens. So, I mean, yeah, I think there, I think this sort of idea that the Biden administration was, you know, weak or not doing enough, I think that it has been, frankly, sort of countered in some de- by some degree at this point. So if you were advising the Democrats on their midterm communication strategy, what would you be telling them to focus on? Um, I, you know, I think that the thing to focus on is what they've delivered to the American people here, right? Over the summer, they delivered gun reform, they delivered climate change legislation, they delivered lowering drug costs, and the idea that if they can get filibuster-proof control of the Senate, all of those things would be done times 10, right? And that this is really the roadmap for the future. And additionally, uh, you know, this idea of democracy is a really hard question to talk about in sound bites. Um, and I think we need to figure out, you know, better ways to talk about the, <laughs> the, the idea that Republicans are working to destroy democracy on many levels, legislatively, uh, at the national level and the state level and through the courts most effectively, perhaps. So, um, you know, and then we have Roe, you know, and I, I think that at the end of the day, right, Roe v. Wade is going to be a really big determining factor in midterms because for a lot of folks, it has really become clear that there is one party that wants folks to have bodily autonomy and one party that doesn't. And that Roe v. Wade is the beginning of their path, not the end of it. Uh, and they want to do more things going forward. Republicans want to make trans uh, healthcare illegal, gender affirming healthcare illegal, right? Like they might try to uh, take away the right to gay marriage, the right to um, interracial marriage is even on the it's even on the cutting room floor. You know what I mean? Like there is there is a legal path for that to happen, that there would no be con- no constitutional right to interracial marriage. It would just be left up to the states. So I think that, um, you know, for folks who are voting just based on fundamental constitutional rights, there's there's only one answer. And I think for a lot of Democrats, that's going to be the top message. I think that's a good point. Um, and I'm very interested to see Liz Cheney has her primary tomorrow. And I'm very interested to see how she does. She's expected to lose, but I'm sure it will be telling how much she loses by and if it's more or less than expected. So we will definitely be covering that on Wednesday, I'm sure. Do you think she's going to run for president if she loses? I think we need more stuff to happen for that to be um, clear. But do I think that her ultimate goal is to be able to run for president and like resurrect what used to be the Republican Party after MAGA is extinguished like the Dark Lord? Yeah, I think that's her ultimate dream. I think ideally MAGA is marginalized and something replaces what used to be the Republican Party. Um, and if she's the leader of it, could be worse. I don't, I don't know who the other options are. But I, as long as she's not running on the Democratic ticket, I'll take it. Right. I, I, you know, a few folks have posited that Joe Biden will replace Kamala Harris with Liz Cheney as a you know bipartisan ticket, with his, which is just ludicrous, right? Like, that's not how the primary system works in America. <laughs> that just sounds like somebody 
had an idea at dinner and was like, well, what if? <laughs> and then they like spread this rumor. Right. You know, they are the, also the type of people who are pushing for uh, the forward party. Forward party. Right. Well, uh, which I, has no official stance on choice, by the way. We everybody. don't talk about that here. Oh, great. I, I'm aboard. All right. I think this would be a good place to end it by going forward as in nowhere else. And with that, until the end of democracy, I'm Sammy Sage. And this is Emily Amick. And this has been the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.